Welcome to the John Lennon Hour with Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. Volume 1, Should Have Been There. Volume 2, Shivering Inside. And Volume 3, She Loves You. Purchase your copy of the John Lennon series at johnlennonseries.com. Welcome, Beatles fans. This is the John Lennon Hour. Tower clock strikes in the cold night air And it's onward to Liddy Pool for me Home to Liddy again, me boy The Beatles book, also known as Beatles Monthly, the name that most of you recognize, was founded by Sean O'Mahony in August of 19. 19- 63. Now, as the editor of another publication about the music scene that was already successful, a magazine that was called Beat Instrumental, Mahoney felt certain that he could do the Beatles, whose Please Please Me had absolutely knocked him off his feet, but he could do them justice. So he ginned up courage, he wrote to Brian Epstein, and he asked for permission to publish a magazine focused solely on John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the Beatles. And the rest, as they say, is history. It is. Sean O'Mahony's Beatles Monthly was a gigantic success. In fact, as you well know, it continued for 77 editions until very sadly, very sadly for all of us, it stopped publication after the December 1969 issue. Well, guys, during its heyday, it was all over the world, and Leslie Bryce was the magazine's photographer and was given unlimited access to the lads as they toured and traveled the world. And for those of you who read Beatles Monthly, you know that Mal Evans and Neil Aspinall both wrote articles for the publication. Really and truly, this was the first journal or publication devoted entirely to the Beatles. But as we all know, it wasn't the first magazine to highlight the boys' success. No, 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 no. That honor has to go to my friend Bill Harry to Mersey Beat, that unique Liverpool music scene journal that followed the boys even when they were at Casbah and the Cavern Club and they were just Liverpool College of Art boys and Liverpool Institute students. Bill Harry's Mersey Beat. Well, in the years that followed, Bill Harry and Sean O'Mahony were joined by a slew, a host of other editors whose magazines and journals, some frivolous, some serious, paid tribute to those four Liverpool artists-slash-composers-slash-musicians-slash-actors who changed the world. Just think about the last 30 years. We have seen a slew of journals just in America. I fondly remember Charles Rosanay's Good Day Sunshine and Trina Unico's Day Trippin', which is now online in its 17th year. 
And, of course, the wonderful Octopus's Garden by Tom Aguiar and Robin Roberts, which I think, and they may correct me on this, is celebrating its 20th year this year, and so many more wonderful publications. And then, of course, with the birth of the Internet, Beatles publications sprouted and took root with a vengeance. For example, the Beatles magazine, which is on Facebook, boasts over 35 million visitors to its page. And, you know, they're everywhere. There are Beatles clubs, there are Beatles journals, there are Beatles publications. But there are three that I think you need to know about, which are online publications that have the greatest following and that are very, very highly esteemed and respected. The first one is the oldest. It is Beatles News. Now, Beatles News went online in 2000, but really the format that you and I know today didn't come along until 2002 when it was revamped. Now, for those of you who remember, you're going way back here, it was called in the inception whatgoeson.com, of course, after Ringo's song on the Rubber Soul album. But in 2008, very fortunately, BeatlesNews.com opened up, and so the owner of WhatGoesOn.com grabbed that domain as the perfect answer to a website that was giving people Beatles news. It's a remarkable site and one that most Beatles fans click on daily. So it stands to reason that Beatles news is updated daily, Monday through Friday, and sometimes on the weekend if breaking news happens. Now, Hold on to your hats. It receives more than 12,000 visits per day on a normal day and even more when there's breaking news. And it gives people a daily compendium of all of the stories in the media that are in any way related to the Beatles. Since its creation way back in 2000, it's been run by the self-same person, Adam Forrest, who also operates the sister website, the Beatles Internet Album, or... BeatlesAgain.com. Now, our second front runner for Beatles information online is BeatlesExaminer.com with Steve Marinucci at the helm. Now, Steve is also a radio host, if you didn't know. He has a radio show that airs three times weekly. It's called Things We Said Today, along with Al Sussman, my buddy Al, and Ken Michaels. And it airs each week three different times on Fab Four Radio, Things We Said Today, so don't miss that. Now, I have to get with those guys because I've had Al on this show quite a few times, and I've had Steve at least twice, so we're going to have to see about me going on to Things We Said Today and chatting up some lemon. Now, BeatlesExaminer.com has been publishing Beatles articles and news for the last eight years, and here's the statistic. Steve gets 40,000 viewers a month, which is 10,000 a day. That's really impressive. He'll also keep you up to date on Twitter with Beatles News. You can follow him two different ways. One is at Steve Marinucci, M-A-R-I-N-U-C-C-I, or very easy to remember, at Beatles Examiner. Our last big source of online Beatles daily updates and information is Shelley Germo's JohnLennonExaminer.com, and that's a post that Shelley has held for the last five years. Now, obviously, you can tell from the title that the news here is Lennon-focused, but because John was the leader of the Beatles, no matter what anyone else tells you he was, 
Shelley also reports on some Beatles news because they're intertwined, aren't they? Several times a week, Shelley releases articles about current Beatles news and Lennon news. JohnLennonExaminer.com. She can also be found on Twitter at Lennon News, of course. Lennon News, not too hard to remember. And guys, as if that wasn't enough, she also has a Facebook page called John Lennon News and Biography. So, pretty cool. Those are the big three online. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about some of the men and women who have made it possible for people just like you and me, the diehard fans, to find updated and constantly emerging information about the Beatles in magazine format. We're going to talk to two very distinguished publishers and editors whose magazines always keep us learning and growing, not only as fans, but as scholars, as educators, as authors, as researchers. And I've divided them into two categories. The first is the classic hard copy Beatles magazine, and Bill King of Beatles fan is going to be talking to us from that genre. It, all I have to say is Beatles fan, and everyone nods. It's been around so long, it's mattered so much to everyone, and it is the authority on Beatles news and magazine format. And they're gonna, we're going to be talking with Alison Boron, who is the editor of Rebeat Magazine Online, a 1960s pop culture magazine that encompasses, to a great extent, the work of the Beatles. Now, each of these journalists pays a crucial role in our understanding and knowledge of the lads, and it's ongoing and ongrowing. So let's just jump in and get started. I've already said we have with us one of the most distinguished men in the business, the revered publisher of Beatle Fan. And that's all I have to say, and everyone knows exactly who he is. And I have to admit that I was very shy and reluctant to invite him on the show tonight because to all of us, not just to me, he's the Mark Lewison of the industry. I was very honored when he accepted my invitation. Bill knows the arts in general. He tweets about other things other than the Beatles. He knows film and music from early rock and roll to current hits and literature, but he knows the Beatles specifically. And Beatle fan always has maintained a proud tradition of getting it right with stellar contributors like Al Sussman that we talked about just a minute ago and Dr. Kit O'Toole and others whose very careful and credentialed work keeps that magazine cutting edge. Bill always strives for quality reporting, and that's what Beatle Fan offers. So you guys, I hope you'll help me welcome to the show the publisher of Beatle Fan, Bill King. Let's see if we have him on the line. Bill, are you there? I am here. Well, welcome to the John Lennon Hour. Thanks. You're very kind, and it's my pleasure to join you. Well, thank you so much. Are you freezing in Atlanta? Uh, it's been pretty chilly today, yes. Yes, well, it is. In Louisiana, it's 36 degrees and getting down into the 20s tonight, and I just don't think it's fair. <laughs> I think we stayed in the 20s all day today. It's horrible. It is just horrible. Well, we are so thrilled to have you here to tell us the Beatle fan story. And I know people read Beatle fan, but I don't know if they know the history of how it got started and the story behind it. So, so give us the backstory. What's the scoop? Well, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the early days of, of Beatles fanzines, but they were mostly amateur affairs that were created by fans on typewriters 
and generally published on a very irregular schedule. And as a fan, I'd always wished that there was a reliable, regularly published news magazine that covered the Beatles the same way, say, that Time and Newsweek and Life covered the world at large. And at the time, I was the rock music critic for the Atlanta Constitution, so I had access to music industry news sources. And my wife, Leslie, was also a journalist, and we were looking for a way to have a publication of our own on the side that you know our living didn't depend on. And so in the fall of 1978, we decided to combine those two interests, and the result was Beatle Fan. And basically, it was the first professionally typeset and edited publication in Beatles fandom. Um, we applied the standards of reporting that we'd learned working for daily newspapers to our Beatles publication. And because of that, we quickly attracted a lot of attention. It also helped that Mark Lapidos, who was the producer of what was then called Beatlefest, now the Fest for Beatles mm-hmm. fans, was our earliest supporter. He was in Atlanta to put on a fest, and I had dinner with him a couple of nights after Leslie and I had first hatched this idea, and I told Mark about our project, and he loved the idea. So a week later, uh, we had flyers advertising the magazine on Mark's table at the Atlanta Beatlefest. And then uh, probably about uh, a month and a half later, the first issue came out. And uh, we grew fairly quickly, but I think our first big milestone was the special memorial issue we did in in December 1980 after John was killed. And it was one of the first Lennon Memorial magazines of any type published. And that that also, we in fact, we had to go back to print on that one. We had a second edition of that magazine because it sold out and we had such demand. And I guess our, our next big step came in 1986 after we absorbed Barb Fennick's longtime fanzine, The Right Thing, and took on her readership. And that basically about almost doubled our, our readership. And then, uh, then came the late 80s, the return to touring of Paul and Ringo. And that kicked mm-hmm. things up several more notches because we provided comprehensive, detailed coverage of a sort that had been unheard of in, in Beatles fandom. And then sort of right on the, you know, after that came the anthology, and we were at the forefront of covering that. In fact, through a source very close to Ringo, we actually broke the news of the initial Threedles recording sessions on Free as a Bird. We had that story before anyone, and even the New York Times and, and Newsweek cited us in their reports. And when the anthology TV series was about to air, ABC asked me to be on, on their list of Beatles experts available for interviews, and I did a lot of radio interviews to spread the word. And, um, but I think that also provided one of our proudest moments because I, I got on the phone with legendary Beatles aide Derek Taylor to do an interview for, for Beatle fan about it. And I'd already interviewed him a couple of times before, a few years before. And before I could even uh, say anything, the, the ABC publicist said to Derek, it's Bill King of Beatle fan on the line. And Derek said, well, I doubt there's anything I can tell him about this project. He doesn't already know. <laughs> So that was that was uh, that was kind of cool. Oh my gosh, it's amazing! That is so amazing. Was that like one of the, the high points of your whole career? Well, in in terms of the Beatles, uh, yeah, I mean that, that's one of them. Oh my goodness! Well, you've been there for you know, so many changes, not only in the Beatles but in the in magazine industry. I mean, big changes, and that probably could be the subject of a whole show. The the changes you've seen. But give us a highlight. What are the biggest things that you've seen modify over the years? And would you say it's been changes for better or changes for worse? 
Well, I guess the first change was was us. I mean, we we sort of you know we elevated Beatles fanzines to you know the the point of like I said being professionally typeset. Uh, you know, having a glossy cover uh, after the first couple of years. Uh, so that was that was a change because, like, you know, previously these things were, you know, individual pages stapled together. Um, right. But the, the biggest change to hit fan publications, I think, is the same as hit publications of every sort, and that was the rise of the Internet. And whether that's for better or worse depends on whether I'm speaking as a publisher or as a fan. Because right. for print publishers of all levels, the web has proved a major challenge. And that's the same whether you're talking Time Life or Beatle Fan. Uh, but for fans, it's meant almost instantaneous access to information from around the world. For instance, mm-hmm. if Paul performs a concert in Europe, we all know within hours or even minutes of its conclusion what songs he played. Whereas in our right. early days, we either had to wait for a report to come via airmail from one of our contributors, or we had to get on the phone for a very expensive transatlantic call. Um mm-hmm. But still, you know, I mean, as we all know from many bogus web stories and social media hoaxes that, that occur almost daily, just because it's on the Internet doesn't make it true. So I believe there's still a role to be played by professional journalists who vet a story before putting it out there at any level. And our ability to get in-depth interviews and, and the level of coverage we provide, both in terms of news and Beatles history, and the standard of writing we have, I think means this still a place for a magazine like Beale Fan. Yeah, and you're not just giving people what Paul played or what he did or wore or performed. You're giving an in-depth analysis and coverage, and that's something that you can't get unless you've had a few days or a week to let it sink in and to gather all of your data and to see many different sides of the stories and put it together. So that you're taking a different focus, aren't you? Yes, and and it's the people we have doing it too that that uh, is is a factor. Uh, you know, these yeah. are these are uh, veteran, you know, journalists or veteran fans, uh, people who who know the Beatles thoroughly. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because you know, two people I really love, Al Sussman and Ken O'Toole, work for you, and one I believe that Al has been with you almost from the very beginning, and and Kit, just one of my dear friends. You have so many people who have degrees and they're authors and they're on right and they're Beatles experts. Tell us about some of those people. Well, over the years, we've managed to attract a, a really stellar group of contributors. Um, the earliest among them was pop culture historian Wally Pedrazic, who is the one who dubbed us the Beatles publication of record. And Wally's been a contributor from the very beginning because I met Wally at that Atlanta Beatle Fest where we first put out the flyers. And mm-hmm. he was also uh, tremendously enthusiastic about the idea of this sort of publication. And quite a few other Beatles authors wanted to write for us, starting with the late Nicholas Schaffner, who was the author of the, the acclaimed book, The Beatles Forever, also met right. him at that Atlanta Beatle Fest. Uh, photographer Jory Grayson, who's now known for the MACA report, was another very early supporter who's been with us the whole way. Al right. Sussman joined us toward the end of our first year of publication uh, at the suggestion of Mark Lapito. So I was looking for a New York correspondent, and Mark suggested Al, and we got together and, and uh, been together ever since. Uh, Bill right. Harry, founder of Liverpool's famed Mersey Beat paper, joined our roster early on. Um, and eventually we attracted contributors like Alan Cozen of the New York Times and such highly regarded historians as Bruce Spicer, 
But we also yeah. developed a network of correspondents around the world who provided the fan in Beetle Fan, including folks like uh, my Atlanta buddy Rick Glover, and the original fan on the run, we call him, and my <laughs> London friend Simon Rogers. And Rick and Simon both have an uncanny knack for getting into Beatles concerts and events, no matter how exclusive they are. If they can't get into it, uh, it's really private. And then uh, after Good Day Sunshine ceased publication a few years ago, we picked up Tom Frangione as one of our stalwarts. And also over the years, we've, as uh, the years have passed, we've gotten a lot of younger contributors from succeeding generations of fandom. Kit is an example of that, but so is Brad Hunt, who does many of our reviews. I first uh, met him when he was a student at Georgia State University in Atlanta in the mid-'80s, and he uh, started uh, contributing uh, to the publication. And then Ken Sharp and Howie Edelson, who have uh, both done many of our outstanding interviews in recent years, are, are both from sort of the younger generation of fandom. Wow. I mean, what a roster. Every one of those people, you, you just it, they're wows, and you have a, an entire staff. How many of those people are still contributing? Um, all of those that I mentioned, um, except Nick Safter, who, who passed on a few years ago, but um, all of them are. That's great. That is great. Well, I know that you personally and uh, all the people on your staff have had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing so many greats in the Beatles world. So, you know, when you're reviewing that list, who stands out in your mind as the most outstanding? Well, my first big thrill was getting to interview George Harrison at a press dinner that Warner Brothers threw for the 33 and the Third album in Washington, D.C. And I flew up for that, and uh, they had a reception ahead of time, and I, I shook hands with him briefly and just said hello. Uh, but it was, by the way, the I guess... You know, when you've shaken as many hands as George had shaken, you know, you didn't put a whole lot into it. So it was like the weakest handshake I think I've ever had. You just sort of, you know, <laughs> plopped out there. You just held on to it for a moment. But um, but then I, I managed to sit next to him, uh, uh, not next to him, but at the table next to him uh, during dinner. And when I saw that he'd finished eating, I just went over and asked him if we could talk. Uh, and he agreed. So I kneeled down beside him. For about 15 minutes or so interviewing him and and that was a tremendous thrill that was that was my first Beatle um, and I, over the years I've also interviewed uh, Paul and Ringo several times or and also been at press conferences with them uh, but I guess the most exciting of those encounters was uh, a session for the give my regards to Broad Street movie in New York City and I was one of half a dozen journalists who spent an hour chatting with Paul and I guessed right before he arrived and so he ended up sitting right next to me I, I positioned myself next to where i thought he would sit and i was i was correct and we spent the whole hour you know chatting with him not just about the movie but uh, you know about other things too and and that uh was a, a tremendous thrill um wow. but among the other non you know fab four interviews I've, I've personally done one of my favorites was Derek taylor who was one of the most charming men i've ever met and I first interviewed him at a Beatles convention in Liverpool in the early 80s. And then the next mm -hmm. time I talked to him, about five years later, he had a book on the Sgt. Pepper album coming out. And yeah. when I got on the phone with him, he actually remembered me. He remembered that oh. first interview and the fact that I had a beard. And that just blew my mind. Um, 
And uh, I also did uh, one of the first hand publication interviews with Mike McCartney, and likewise with Cynthia Lennon and May Pang, and mm. Victor Spinetti, who was just an absolute joy to talk with, and who it turned out had the same hometown in Wales as my mother. Um, wow. I'm, I'm half British. Uh, I interviewed uh, Beatles movie producer Walter Shenson several times, uh, once on stage at, at uh, the Chicago Beatlefest. Uh, I, I interviewed twice uh, former Beatles aide Peter Brown. I a couple of times Apple famed Apple promo man Pete Bennett, uh, who was mm. a real trip. Um, the members of Badfinger. Uh, yeah. Photographer Jurgen Volmer, who took the famous gentleman oh. uh, rock and roll cover shot. Uh, John's childhood pal Pete Shotton. Uh, oh. I interviewed him uh, pretty extensively because he was he had co-authored a book with Nick Schaffner, and Nick, being a friend, made a point of telling him he needed to spend some time with me when he came to Atlanta on his publicity tour. So we did a long interview, and then we just sort of sat in a bar, you know. Uh, with Pete commenting on various women as they went by. Um, and then uh, John's half-sister, Julia Baird, uh, came to Atlanta once. And uh, this this was sort of when she was just entering the public eye uh, before she sort of had done her books and everything. Um, John's pal, Elliot Mintz, interviewed yes. him. Uh, I did a very extensive interview with record producer Phil Ramone, uh, which wow. was really interesting and, and provided uh, – some information about some of, particularly some of Paul's projects that people had always wondered about, and Phil was able to, you know, sort of fill in the gaps. And then, of course, I uh, mean, you know, you, lots of assorted. You just talked to all and, of them, haven't you? Well, not all it's of them, crazy. but yeah, I, I've done quite a few. And then, you know, of course, we've had many, many more. But you know, the interviews have been done by, you know, various contributing editors. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are getting close to time, but I really want to ask you, give everybody, and I, I know almost everyone listening has their own personal copy of Beetle Fan, but if you don't have a copy, tell them what Beetle Fan entails. Like if they got a typical copy, what they would be seeing. Well, first of all, you'll see the, the news roundup, uh, which is, is uh, in the early portion of the book, and then we, we have uh, – retrospectives on uh, Bruce Spicer does a, a series of 50th anniversary articles on all the singles and albums. And we, if, if there's a, an archive release like Paul's archive releases or George's, we, we usually do a special article on that. We have interviews, uh, like I said, Howie and, and Ken Sharp do a lot of those. Like in just in the last year, you know, we had Giles Martin talking about working on the sound for the reissue of hard days night David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, talking about his friendship with the Beatles. Um, wow. So we do a lot of those. We do special features like Kit Part Series on R&B and jazz covers of Beatles songs. Um, we have, you know, uh, like I said, extensive coverage of the news, which includes coverage of tours, Paul and Ringo's tours. And Rick Glover uh, is a, a high point of that. And like uh, last year, he, he was at the Candlestick Park show and, and did a very extensive article on that. And uh, so basically, you're gonna you're gonna get you know what's going on currently. You're going to get uh, sort of expert analysis of of current releases and books. Uh, we, we run like uh, four or five pages of reviews every issue. Um, you're, you're gonna get uh, you know retrospectives by you know respected pop culture historians. So you you get both the the past and and the present uh, of the Beatles. 
That is great. Well, how can people become a part of the Beatle Fan family? How do they subscribe? Well, the best thing I can tell them is to email me at BeatleFanMagazine at gmail.com. BeatleFanMagazine being like one word, at gmail.com. And we can provide them with all the details on subscribing or getting a sample issue. Uh, they can also go to BeatleFan.com uh, for information. Uh, we, we also publish a newsletter between issues called BeatleFan Extra that includes free BeatleFan bulletin emails whenever there's breaking news. And like, for instance, the latest extra that I put out just a couple of days ago has my exclusive preview of Ringo's new album, Postcards from Paradise. Uh, and we have, uh, if, for those who don't want to pay anything, we have the BeatleFan blog, Something New, which is free for everyone. And they can read that at BeatleFanSomethingNew.wordpress.com. Okay, okay. And are you also on Twitter or Facebook? We we are. Uh, we have a Facebook page, which we put uh, all the, the latest news and a lot of fun media links and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, and that is at Facebook.com slash Magazine. Or if you forget that, you can just Google Beetlefan and Facebook, and, and it'll be the first thing that comes up. And on Twitter, okay. uh, the uh, address is at Beetlefan Extra. Okay, at Beetle Fan Extra, at Beetle Fan Extra. Well, Bill, I would love for you to come back. We didn't get to talk about, I would love to talk about those people that you met and hear some of those stories. Would you come back again and let's do the stories next time? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. I would love it. Well, thank you very much, not only for being on the show, but for the work that you're doing to keep bringing the Beatles home to the homes of Americans and people all over Europe and everywhere. You, your subscribers are all across the globe. I appreciate it. They appreciate it, and especially the scholarship and the fact that we know if we read something in Beatles fan that it's been done right. Thank you very, very much. Well, thank you. And I'll see you soon. Okay. Good night. Thank you so much, Bill. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, next we have with us one of the second genre that I mentioned, the new and emerging online pop culture publications. This is a rapidly emerging genre because baby boomers, as you guys know, make up the vast majority of the population, and these are definitely not your parents' grannies. Baby boomers are sharp. They're Internet savvy, and they're smart. And because they're retired, many of them, they have time to read and study and browse online, and they're searching for great articles about the culture in which they grew up. Well, Rebeat Magazine is the perfect response to that need, and not only to the boomers, but to the leanings of so many young people who are fascinated. I mean fascinated. I have most 20% of my readers are in their 20s. These are young people who love mid-century pop culture, music, customs, lifestyles of the 60s and 70s, and they are a group that loves Rebeat Magazine. Now, Rebeat is a digital blog magazine that's dedicated to the 60s, the 70s, sometimes a little bit beyond that. It says on its homepage that the category it covers is extremely broad because, quote-unquote, the mid-century influence is felt in waves rippling through time. I love that. It's true. The borders are really indistinct. Well, tonight we are very fortunate to have Rebeat's interesting and articulate editor, Alison Boron, here to tell us about her publication, her unique audience, her format, and her views on the Beatles' role in publications like hers. So, 
Let's welcome to the line Allison Boron. Let's see if she's here. Allison, is that you? Hi, Jude. Hi, Jude. I'm here. <laughs> How are you? Can you hear me? Great. Thank you. How are yes, you? Yes, We have a little bit of a delay, and, and so it kind of, if I say, uh-huh, you may come to you like a few seconds later, but we're, I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and it's it's also a thrill to be on the same hour as Bill King, who is a legend. So this is really exciting. I'm telling you, I, I was so nervous to write to him. I was just, oh, you know, scared. <laughs> and you're a legend. I mean, you what you have done oh. is amazing. I, I was so impressed with your entrepreneurial idea to, to do Rebeat. And now that I did all my research and started reading it and spent the last two or three weeks reading Rebeat, I'm hooked on it. And I think everybody else is going to get hooked too because you cover everything. You have famous girl group articles, an article on Peter Yarrow, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and what he's doing today, deep tracks evaluation of the the WHO, really, really eclectic. There's something for everyone. How did you come up with this idea, and how did you put it into action? Well, the repeat story really goes back um, about two or three years ago. Um, Personally, I've been a freelance writer for the past five years, and my beat has always been kind of on the 60s. Um, like you mentioned, you know, I am of the younger generation, so that always sort of set me apart. But, you know, with Rebeat, my goal was to really take that and not really even so much based on age, but really just sort of shed a fresh perspective on this beloved time period and this beloved genre of music that is so well covered, but kind of spin it in a different way. Um, you know, my background comes from you know, doing cover stories and interviews with people like the Beach Boys and uh, Benny King and Graham Nash and Ray Davies and all of these incredible legends of the era. So, you know, but I always love to ask them, like, different questions. Like, um, one I'm going to maybe bring up a little bit later is I interviewed Jeremy Clyde not long ago, and I had read this really old teen magazine article about him breeding squirrels so i'm like you know what i'm gonna ask him (laughs) so i really enjoy that sort of different perspective on the classic topics so um you know about i think it was may or june of last year i was like okay i'm going to do this and i assembled this list of people that i knew through the music scene or through even just going to concerts and meeting these people and saying, yes, I want them on the staff because I know that they have a different, um, you know, perspective on this amazing time period. And so, you know, we launched in July of 2014 and we've just been growing and growing ever since. Wow. I mean, that is uh, incredible to go from making the list and dreaming of the people you'd like to interview and making it actually happen. And you have got a, a great staff, and I've looked through many of the articles and read them, and they're all good. But there's this one writer, a Jobo. Yeah. That's you, isn't it? <laughs> it is <laughs> You've got me. Some great uh... <laughs> articles on there. Tell, I love the Denny Lane, the the fiftieth um, anniversary tour article that you did, and that twenty image pictorial that you did on this this fiftieth anniversary tour. You'll have to tell everybody about that. And then your recap of two thousand fourteen. Tell us about some of the articles that you actually write for the magazine. Well, you know, you just mentioned one of my favorites, which is the British Invasion Tour. Um, And, uh, you know, last fall before the tour actually launched, I got the opportunity to interview Billy J. Kramer and Mike Pender of The Searchers 
and like I said, Jeremy Clyde um, of Chad and Jeremy, who are all on this package tour um, in advance yeah. of those dates. And you know, just to give a plug, if I could, to the tour because it's really fantastic. Um, you know, it's actually setting out on Sunday in Annapolis, Maryland, on the second leg. And um, you know, for anybody who loves British Invasion of the '60s or the Beatles, I mean, don't miss this show. It's literally once in a lifetime. You know, you'll never see this package together again. And and I must say, the set list is impeccable. You know, you have your hits, you have your rarities, and you know, it's combined with this multimedia sort of presentation that makes it it's just breathtaking it's it's surreal so you know definitely check them out online you know rebeat is still writing about them we wrote about them extensively in the fall but you know we're still covering them because it's really important this kind of thing is just yeah. super super important um you know but as far as some of the other things i've written for rebeat uh i have to admit i honestly don't write as much as i'd love to because i'm the editor obviously and my plate is full of publishing every day you know, we publish twice a day, five days a week, and once on Sundays at the moment. But we're growing. Our content is, you know, always snowballing, always getting bigger. Um, but, you know, one of my highlights, I think, thus far in Rebeat has been interviewing the great P.F. Sloan, the song, songwriter um, and this, like, enigmatic figure in music history. And he was, you know, just a – it was so surreal to get to talk to him. Um and, but, you know, I think some of my highlights are scoring interviews for my writers. Um, you know, we did a big spread on Ian Anderson last fall, which was really cool. Um, and like you mentioned, Peter Yarrow. I mean, he doesn't even need an explanation. It's just so cool to have him on there. So, you know, it's a wonderful uh-huh. feeling to include these folks, you know, on Rebeat. It is. And just for the people that are going to go check out that 50th anniversary tour as soon as the show is over with, um, the schedule is listed. And so you can read all about it, and then you can see where they're going to. The only sad thing was that they're not appearing anywhere in the South. So you need to whisper in their ear and tell them to come somewhere. (laughs) Well, hopefully, you know, this is only the second of a few different legs of the tour so we'll see i mean you know they are like i i may have mentioned they are hitting up those midwestern cities that they kind of bypassed the first time with um just focusing on the east and west coast but you know i think they're going to chicago and they're coming to my native ohio um and uh and a few other places minneapolis is one of them so you know and take a look at it and we do have the full schedule of dates on rebeat um i just put up a new schedule on monday in my column um and you can also they're on twitter and they're on Facebook, so definitely check them out. Very impressive. Well, now, for all the Beatles fans who are listening, I want to assure you there is plenty of good reading about the Beatles. In fact, it's my bad. I wish that I had read Erica Abrams' article, My Grandfather Overdubbed the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, before I published She Loves You, and I guarantee you when I do the revision, I'm going to go back and include her story (laughs) because she writes about this incredible story about her grandfather, High White, and we want people to read it, but kind of tease them, give them an idea of what the stories about Allison oh of course well you know it's really it really is an incredible story and I must make mention that it was first published on Erica's own uh Beatles blog which you should you know your listeners would absolutely love and it's called um quote unquote and we love them really easy to remember um and they're also on Twitter um but you know when I read it on her blog I was like we have to put this on rebeat because it's just so cool so the the gist of the story is that her grandfather High White uh, was a member of Ed Sullivan's Ray Block Orchestra, which, if you remember, was like the house band for the show. And, of course, yeah. even by that time, he was a veteran. 
of showbiz. So, you know, these four kids from Liverpool come on, came on, who cares? Uh, you know, he was kind of not phased by it, but he did get their autographs for, you know, posterity. He got them for his son, who's Erica's father. Um, and, uh, and like the title says, he overdone, well, we have to read the story, but <laughs> he let the <laughs> legend good... go. He overdubbed George Harrison. Um, but to kind of understand the context and when that happened exactly, you should definitely check it out on repeat. <laughs> it is a good story. And the very cool thing is not only are you going to see those autographs that Allison just told you about and read a great story, but you can also see the interview that Erica's grandfather did about it. So it's mm-hmm. a one of a kind. It kind of gives me chill bumps. It's a very cool thing. I definitely check Same that here. out. Well, right after <laughs> – Yeah, I was reading that, and then I decided, you know, I was going to find out what other Beatles things you had. So I went to the little handy-dandy search box on the right, and I typed in Beatles, and a plethora of Beatles articles appeared. I mean, great info. So tell us some of the other articles that people can discover about the Beatles while they're on repeat. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, obviously with a staff like us and, and a publication like Reapy, we're all huge, huge, huge Beatles fans, like long time, like dyed-in-the-wool Beatles fans. Um, but, you know, we do have like some certain staffers like Erica who are our go-to Beatles people. So if something comes across my desk, I know Erica will write about Paul, his new DVD or whatever, you know. So, um, you know, but some of the topics we've covered in the past, we've actually done – full-fledged Beatles weeks where we talk extensively about the Beatles in every context. And usually we do those in conjunction with the Fest for Beatles fans. Um, We ran one in August for the Chicago Fest. We ran one in October for the L.A. Fest. Um, And speaking of the L.A. Fest, one of the really cool pieces we did um, was by um, one of our Canadian writers, Lindsay Stamhues, who was also on the Women Historians panel with me at that particular fest, um, she wrote an article before the festival about what it, what she expected from it, and then she wrote a review afterwards about how it stacked up her expectations. So that I thought mm-hmm. was really cool, especially because some of our readers have probably gone to the fest all their lives, and they, you know, are sort of used to it. But to read what it's like for, you know, first timers, kind of like bringing it all, you know, into that, into like I said, the fresh perspective of being like, oh yeah, a new, t- a new fan of the fest would see it like this. So I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, of course, you know, we review a lot of Beatles material from books. You know, we did um, an, a review of Larry Kane's revised Ticket to Ride, which is one of my favorite Beatles books, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, our friend Candy Leonard's Beatleness appeared on there as well. Um, you know, yeah. we've done features on <laughs> George Harrison's solo discography and playlists of Beatles covers. Um, and all of this is done sort of with – a twist, you know, something that maybe you haven't discovered yet. Um, and actually, one of our most popular articles of all time is Pam Sosnowski's breakdown of underrated Beatles songs. And there are some surprises on that, I must say. I was really excited when she brought that to the table because I was, you know, some of my favorites are on there, but some of the, you know, songs that you sort of, like, forget about were on there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, like you said, Jude, if you go to Rebeat and you search Beatles, Pages and pages and pages of results come up because, I mean, let's face it, they pretty much cover and touch every aspect of mid-century culture. Yeah, it, it, you really do. And I have to admit, I, I was just going to read one or two, and then I said, well, I'll just read one more, and then I'll go to bed. I'll just do one more, and then I'll go to bed. And <laughs> I do I that. I read, I, yeah. <laughs> 
I was like I'm there till four in the morning, and and I have to admit, Kid O'Toole is probably listening, but Kid and I are going to talk about some of the Beatles' most underrated songs in April when we do our Kitten Caboodle show. And I thought, oh, I, I really shouldn't read this article because this is going to, you know, really give me an edge. But I couldn't help it. And it was a great article, and I totally agree with her choices. I mean, she starts off with um, There's a Place. It's just a fantastic mm-hmm. article. Everybody needs to go read it as soon as the show's over. So good on your contributors. And speaking of your contributors, they're excellent, all of them. You know, not so hoity-toity that's really difficult to read, not elementary either. They're superb. Who are some of your contributors? Well, you know, we have – I have to say first, you know, I genuinely feel so – excited and so lucky to have this amazing group of people around me you know every day I'm like just so excited to see what they write and and, you know to to see their pitches everybody's so creative it it makes me want to be more creative honestly um you know from the core group um that I sort of started on the list we've grown to about a dozen and some of those have actually come to us after Rebeat started rolling which is really cool because you know I could that they sense the opportunity here to kind of get their own voice heard, um, which is really important to me as an editor. Um, and you know, the, the best part about the staff is that we all have different fortes and different strengths and different expertise when it comes to this era and this type of music. Um, you know, and like I said, so when something comes across my desk, I know who to give it to based on you know what they right. like and what they know. So, and, and another great thing about the staff is we're all pretty geographically diverse. You know, we have um, mm-hmm. Sharon Lacey, who is, like, as I like to call her, quote-unquote, our gal in London, of course, stealing <laughs> that moniker from, from Hit Parader and Miranda Ward in the 60s. Um, and uh, Sarah Stacy is one of our newer contributors. She's in Ireland. Um, we have, Ooh. you know, Rick Simmons in Louisiana, who also is a doctor, so there's that, and also an author of, um, of a plethora of books. Um, Carrie Farrell in Chicago and a whole bunch of us based in New York City, which is where I'm based also. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, we're all a really solid group. I think, you know, um, it's, it's a classic example of, you know, the whole is greater than the parts. Um, and, and to be honest, this is probably the most solid group of writers that I've ever been a part of. And I really do feel yeah, so thanks. lucky. I can't say that enough. <laughs> They're quite, quite good. Well, I hate to admit this, but I, I and maybe it's not true, but people tell me that the world doesn't always revolve around the Beatles and that once in a while other topics have to crop up. And you do that. You have a wide range of topics, and it's, it spans a wide range of years, the 60s, the 70s. Give us some examples of the diversity on Rebeat. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, like we, like we say, you know, mid-century influences felt in many different ways and, you know, many different parts of pop culture. Um, and, you know, we do t- from time to time write about modern bands and topics. Um, you know, we've done interviews with artists like the Jigsaw scene um, who have members that back up Dave, D- Dave Davies and live shows and, and record with him. Um, we've interviewed the Legal Matters out of Chicago who sort of also fit that vein. Um, you know, we, we did another article, I think it was Pam, who wrote about the band the Januaries, who fit that sort of um, 60s vibe, sunshiny pop vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we like to we like to kind of make sure that they sort of fit into the, the mold somehow, but it's not like, you know, set in stone. Um, you right. know, and then in addition to music, we also are beginning to incorporate articles about fashion, lifestyle, and general culture of the era. Um, in fact, Rick Simmons, who I mentioned before, did a great piece a few days ago about why 
although we romanticized 70s fashion, it was really kind of terrible. <laughs> and, you know, that's a great example of why the staff is so great. You know, everyone has a different voice. Um, another one of our staffers, Gretchen Unico, who is based out of Cleveland, um, she runs a retro fashion blog on the side, and I'm sure she disagrees with Rick. But I think that's the great part about this. I think she'll write an article, you know, in the coming weeks about her take on the fashion sense. And, you yeah. know, that yeah. that sort of balance is, is perfect. Um, really, well, you know, as long as <laughs> – I was going to say, as long as our, you know, content relates somehow back to the main themes of mid-century music culture and lifestyle, everything's pretty much fair game. You know, we have right. listicles of, of band songs from the 50s, 60s songs, these slower hits but weren't. Um, and, you know, a lot of these different lists, which, I mean, I am a big fan of listicles. I love BuzzFeed, you know, and that kind of thing. So to see uh-huh, the things uh-huh. that I like to study and, and that kind of thing put into that format is fantastic for me. But I am constantly surprised by the things that turn up on, on these different pieces. And I have right. to admit, you know, whenever I edit a piece, I always learn something, even as the editor. And, and that's probably my favorite thing about about Rebeat in general. Sure. You're getting to read all of those things. Well, I, I got hooked into Go Retro Pam's article on the top ten holiday movies. Now, I didn't agree yes. with all of her choices. Like the ref, I turned off in, in mid-movie. Like, I can't watch this anymore. I'm about to go into severe depression. But, you know, love a lot of the ones she chose. There's so much to explore on that website. Um, and I noticed that you have several sections, actually, that are recurring each week, like Jukebox. Tell our readers about those. Sure, yeah. I mean, we do have several, we call them recurrences, which is a funny, you know, fancy word for sections or things that happen every week, like you said. Um, Jukebox is basically a weekly playlist of songs um, that we do on Spotify, um, and each one's centered around a theme. So each week, a staffer will take the reins and choose a topic, and then they build the songs around it. Um, and so many of them are creatively picked. It's 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 great to see the theme and and you know kind of how the songs relate. And a lot of it's obviously very subjective. Um, but you know, I'm sure your listeners will love checking out our jukeboxes because I mean, who doesn't love good music? <laughs> that's that's right, kind of a given. Right. Um, but you know, another really popular uh, section on the on the site is a column called "It Was 50 Years Ago Today." that a fellow New York City staffer like myself, um, who's named Sally O'Rourke, she writes it every week, and she spotlights a different song, album, event, or something significant that occurred exactly 50 years ago to the day um, that it's published. And, you know, the greatest thing about it is, you know, oftentimes the event or whatever she's sort of talking about, can the significance of it can only really be realized 50 years after the fact. Um, right. So it's kind of that's that different sort of like, oh, this sort of snowballed into that kind of thing, which this is what yeah. it means for 2015. And I love that. Um, but, you know, we do have a couple other recurrences um, that happen weekly, which are like our staff picks where we pick, you know, over Valentine's Day last week, we picked our love song, our favorite love songs. We do like yeah. our guilty pleasure songs. We do, you know, a coming up next week will be British Invasion songs, a celebration of the tour, you know, so it's like different themes, but we pick our favorites. Um, right. And, uh, and like you mentioned, we did a deep tracks on The Who, I think it was last week, um, by Susan Ryan. And we've got several more lined up for the coming weeks, including The Association, um, John Sebastian, Queen, and a bunch more. So there's a lot to look forward to. 
Well, there he is, and I certainly didn't realize that Susan wrote that. Susan Ryan, good on you. I have she to did. go back and read that now. All right. Well, I, one of that I got really pulled into was the jukebox article on who is this Paul McCartney guy anyway. And, <laughs> I, you know, I thought I'm only going to listen to a few of these. And then I was playing all of Eke Cormium, then the Fireman, the Nothing Too Much Just Out of Sight. It, it was 5 in the morning. I'm like, I have got to go to bed. But there is so much that people can explore. And then there's Mr. Schneider. Okay, what? <laughs> what is Mr. Schneider? <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time every time somebody mentioned Mr. Schneider to me, it would I would be a multimillionaire. <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> Mr. Schneider, I mean, he comes with a backstory and that's the good thing about him. Um and uh and if anybody is a fan of the monkeys T V show from the sixties, obviously, I mean, who doesn't love the monkeys? Um, you know, Mr. Schneider was this omnipresent ventriloquist dummy that sort of acted like the chaperone in the monkey's pad where they lived <laughs> together, obviously, because they were all bros and they had their, their awesome beach house. Um, but Mr. Schneider sort of sat in the corner creepily um, and didn't really do much during the show. He would make cameos here and there. But um, Mary Reagan, who's also based in New York, decided that Schneider needed to have some sort of an adventure. So every week she places him in a different predicament or he gets up to some mischief um, and she creates a Sunday comic in the vein of those wonderful Sunday funnies that we all love. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a it's a one-page thing. I think it's like six panels, but it's always really fun. And, um, and you know, it's just a really, like, silly, cool, very monkeys-esque Part of Rebeat, I think, anyway. As a big monkey. And I was like, so. I have no sense of humor. I don't get it. So, it, no, really, <laughs> any person that has a sense of humor is going to like it. And it's cute, cute, cute. It really is. People have got to check it out. Well, Allison, all I can say in the words of my Liverpool buddies is good on you, girl, because <laughs> Rebeat is addictive. It's fun to read. It's fun for Beatles fans. It's fun for people that are from the 60s and 70s and people from today. You just get hooked. So tell people how they can find you on Twitter, Facebook, the web, the whole bit. Oh, well, you know, you can always check us out on RebeatMag.com. That's our website address. Um, and we're also on Twitter and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at RebeatMag. And then on Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash RebeatMagazine. Or you can search it. I'm sure it'll come up. Um, and we're also on Instagram and Tumblr. And those are kind of, you know, our profiles that we're working on, on building up in the coming year. Um, but, you know, we, we're pretty active on Twitter and Facebook. So if you want to connect with us, feel free. Or send us a message via RebeatMag.com. We're always, we're always reading the mail we get. So and it's always nice to hear from people who enjoy Rebeat. So please do. <laughs> Well, that is great, and I am a big fan, and I am now following you on Twitter, and I'll be following you on Facebook, and I will definitely be reading the publications. So thank you for all the hard work you've done. Great job of exploring these topics and, and then making them relevant to today, and that's what we really appreciate. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Jude, and I really hope your listeners will check out Rebeat and and let us know what they think. And, and you know, it's it's all a labor of love, and it's all about sharing, you know, the legacy of this amazing decade, and or decade, well, three decades, really, you know. Um, yeah. And, and exploring that in new ways. And it's always important to keep reinventing ways to do that. It so is. I'm really excited that Rebeat can, can help out. 
Well, thank you so much. And, and to our audience tonight, we certainly appreciate you being here with us. Explore Rebeat. Explore Beetle Sand if you haven't already. And check out the sites that we mentioned earlier tonight, BeetlesNews.com, JohnLennonExaminer.com, BeetlesExaminer.com, Rebeat Magazine, and Beetle Fan. And then join us next Thursday night on the 9th as we're going to celebrate with two very special guests, two guests at once, Angie and Ruth McCartney. I have known Ruth, Paul's lovely stepsister, since 1993. We met at a Beetle Fest, not one of Mark Lapidos, but one that was run by a gentleman who lived in Kansas City um, in 1993 and got to be good friends and I just am getting to know Angie met her at the Los Angeles Fest for Beatles fans and I have to tell you both of them are a pure joy and a pure delight you're going to fall in love with them I promise so next week on the John Lennon Hour at 9pm Eastern or you can hear us in archives all the best to you and yours ta and shine on